Welcome back to The Everyday Hair Colourist. Today's guest is John Clark. John is the Director of Colour at Nicola Clark John Frieda. He's been hairdressing for over 16 years now. And a fun fact, John and I grew up in different time periods, obviously, in neighbouring villages in Lincolnshire. Welcome, John. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? It's great to have you on, John. I'm so pleased you could come on today. How have you been? I've been good, yeah. I mean, what with the current world situation, trying to kind of keep sane and keep my uh, head in the game and keep, uh, you know, happy as I can be. But yeah, I'm all right. I am okay. Yeah. It's difficult at the moment, for sure, for our industry. In fact, it's been devastating. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that a little bit further on in the chat. But you started out in Lincolnshire, John, same as me. Um, Yes. What did it look like for you? When did you know that you wanted to be a hairdresser? Because you talk about your passion for it. It's been a lifelong passion. When did you sort of, what did it look like? Right, you're not going to believe this. So this is with, this is the God's honest truth. I... I watched, remember in 2000, there was a TV show called um, The Salon on Channel 4 at 6pm. And it was in year 2000. You probably was in America then. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, and it used to be on at six o'clock, I think. And it was a half an hour show. And it was a like Big Brother version of um, uh, hairdressers that were all put together in this salon, I think in the Trocadero. And they'd got hairdressers from all over the country. I think Paul Merritt was the manager at the time. Anyway, and I used to get home from school, because I was 13 in 2000, get home from school and it'd be the first thing I had to watch, and I was obsessed. And the thing I was obsessed with the most was the way they coloured hair. I'd never seen all the tubes and all the different things, and and then it was just watching the antics of people going into a salon and coming out a different person, whether they went in with blonde hair and left with black, or it made somebody feel really happy, or they just, you know, it was just wacky or or something. And I was obsessed with the goings-on in that salon. And then after that, I was determined I wanted to colour somebody's hair. So my best friend Amy at the time, she had long, thick, dark hair, and I was at school in just on the edge of Lincoln in a, a suburb called North Highcombe, which you must be remember. I do know North Highcombe, indeed, yes. Yeah. That's where I went to school. Which one did you go to? I went to Robert Patterson. Oh, so I went to the school opposite. I was NK, North Castephen. Oh. So, yes, yeah, so these two schools that Jack and I went to always were at war. Lunchtime, you'd always have a fight with the school over the road, which was brilliant, but never me because I was always too scared. Anyway, near there isn't... An, is uh, can I just say it was never me because I was very rarely there. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was always, like, hiding with the girls on the... Like, in just away from all of the all of the hubbub. But near there there was an <laughs> there was always a chemist and there was a Asda's and then you could if you was cheeky enough you could get the bus into town and go to my favourite shop was Savers and I would just go to the hair dye aisles, you know, the box colour aisles, and I would just look and find and look at all the hair dyes and one day with my friend Amy I said, Can I colour your hair? And she was like, Yeah and we went and bought I think it was Herbal Essences at the time had a hair dye range and it smelt the same as the shampoo. And I bought and I did it and I did her hair. I dyed her thick, dark hair, this thick, wavy, dark hair, this deep, 
garnet cherry red. And I was so excited. I couldn't sleep the whole night. It was as, as I couldn't sleep. I was that excited. And there, from 13, doing that, that's when I knew, yep, that's the job for me. That's what I'll do for the rest of my life. I love that. I think this is probably the most interesting story we've heard about how people have started because it starts with a TV show and then you're just going into savers, which for our American audience is like, um, it's a bit like a dollar store, really, where you can get everything nice and cheap. And he's yeah. aisle seven, something I preach against. I know. Down aisle seven. But when you're 13 and you've got £2.50 to spend, it's where you've got to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your, your passion felt started there in the TV show and you start getting your hands on box colour. Yeah. don't recommend you to do that at home. No, definitely um, not. <laughs> now I know. Now you know. We're going to get on to the, some of your box colour thing stories a little bit later on as well. What, um, what happened next then? So 13 at school, a big conversation in our industry at the moment is that it's very difficult to recruit young people, that schools uh, are gassed at anyone wanting to go into hairdressing. Um, what was the reaction like for you? Not that many years ago, really, the turn of the century. Yeah, it was. Do you know what? It was really mixed because... My mum always knew I was artistic. I always wanted, if I was going to go to university, it would always be to do something arty or creative, maybe languages, but it was always on the more arty and creative side. But I always knew I wanted to hairdress since I was, you know, 13. And when I told her and then told other members of my family, they were really against it. I remember being, you know, not teased, but they were really anti me doing it. They said, you know... You'll never get anywhere. You'll mm. never earn any money. You won't be able to, you know, do the things you want to do. You won't be able to, it, you know, it's really, you know, it's it's not a profession. It's just a little job. And I and I remember thinking, no, no, no. I I don't. I'm not. I if I'm going to do something, I want to try and be as 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 best as I can do it. I think that's so true. And I think that there's. You know, we talk a lot about internal homophobia that we can have and internal racism, but there's this also there's there's lots of other things that you're that you have to check in on yourself in life. And one of them, I think, for us as hairdressers is self worth. Yeah. Because so many people talk about how it's a shit industry, you're never gonna earn any money, you're never gonna get anywhere. And you know, even when you're doing really well, sometimes that can suddenly click in and you find yourself sort of somebody says what do you do and I'm like oh I'm a hair colorist or a hairdresser and they go oh just color and it's sort of it's it, that it's, word just just yeah it diminishes you doesn't it and if you hear that a lot from an early age obviously you carry that through with you so I think we have a lot of that in the industry we do and um so after I you know wanted to do be a, be a hairdresser I knew I just wanted to color and I got an apprenticeship at a salon in Lincoln um and I tried to do it alongside my a-levels my mum made me do my a-levels right and then I would go to a, a salon it used to be called hair flare in Lincoln and then it changed hands um but it was on the high street in Lincoln owned by a, re a really nice chap called Peter and um and I did my apprenticeship and then you know when the bosses were asking you what you wanted to do and I said oh, I want to be a colorist and I always remember one of the bosses saying to me oh but you don't want to just be a one trick pony right and I remember thinking well, I do want to be a one-trick pony, but it's not just 
about just that word again, just. Being a colorist is, as me and you both know, and everybody listening who colors hair, it's complex. It's a mixture of art, science, you know, communication. Um, you have to understand a haircut as well as a, a stylist. Yes. Absolutely. So I, like, I know a lot of people do do both cut and colour, but then the, in London there's quite a lot of us that specialise, and I think the same in New York and some of the big big metropolitan areas, people that just specialise in being a colourist or a cutter. Yeah. But I think it's really important piece of the puzzle to understand how a haircut works so that you can place your colour properly. Yeah, of course it yeah. is. That's it. And also, you know, working, if you don't cut hair in the salon, which I don't do, and I've not, you know, I said I've had a pair of scissors that I've not used for, you know, 15 years or more, you know, gathering dust. But I work alongside hair cutters and I do love to watch what they do and how they lay hair, how they mm. layer it, how they cut it so you can understand where to place your colour. And it's an important piece to understand to communicate yeah. colour and how, it, how it's going to work and if it's going to work for that client. That's well. right. Communication is key. I f- we it's forget just... that hairdressers by nature are communicators and I always think if you're, if you're quite a successful one, you are... Uh, you know, you should be a good communicator to, you know, to understand a client, empathise and also be able to get your point and your opinion over in a really easy, understandable way. And that's what I think often makes a successful hair colour or colourist appointment. I agree. And I actually think it makes you commercially really viable and really successful if you can communicate. And again, one of the huge issues for people is sort of managing expectations and being able to say yes or no. But that's all in communication, isn't it? That's it. I mean, I think being able to say yes or no and having the strength to say yes or no Mm. and also being able to say yes or no in a really clever way. So, you know, if you don't agree with an opinion or a, a choice of a client, but still being able to disagree in a way that you're bringing them round to the correct thing for them, you know? Yes, I mean, because there's, there's a, a piece of kindness that's got to be there that sometimes people forget. In, that's right. And no, it shouldn't be based on fear, it should be based on a belief. That's so true. That is such a perfect uh, piece of advice. Yeah, I agree. So you're doing your A-levels and you're an apprentice... Doing And for in England at that period of time, I think it was still three years, wasn't it? That's right, yep. And I kept thinking, I'm going to do it in three. I'm going to do it in three. And did you? I did it in less. Well done. I did, because I did it morning, noon and night. And I would sit up and fill in all the paperwork, do all the theory and stuff. And then if I could get models at any time of day or coming on days off, I'd do it. I'd do it. And did you finish your A-levels as well? I did, yeah. I got... But, what did I do? You're... I got art and I got textile design... And then I got a really bad grade in Spanish. I think it's something like a C or a D. But anyway. Well, it's better than my grade in Spanish. But that's really interesting because I, before I went into hairdressing, and I left home very early, I left home at 16, but I'd wanted to go to university and do textiles. That's so weird that you did. Isn't it funny? Yeah. It's like we're we're siblings or something or That's clones. So weird. It's really weird. And what, and then for, to let people understand that like Lincolnshire is a big county but this area where we both grew up is 
three miles apart. And you lived on a street that I think one of my relatives must have lived on as well. So bizarre, isn't it? Small world. It's so weird. So weird. Did you, when you qualified, did you go onto the floor there or did you run away to London straight away? What What was that process like? I qualified and I did a year on the floor in Lincoln. Yeah. Um, I did a year on the floor in Lincoln and then I then ran away to London and I the way I did it was I wrote to all the salons that I really admired and loved and then just waited for replies and then I got a reply back from Sally and Jamie Brooks of Brooks and Brooks. Right, we, and then, we love them, they're fantastic, they're fun, fantastic yeah. company, yeah. Yes, brilliant and the best thing about Sally and Jamie is they do nurture young talent, they've got, they've you know, they've nurtured some amazing hairdressers of today. And mm. yeah, they really do push young people to explore their creativity and what they want to do. So up from the village into the big city yeah. and working at Brooks and Brooks. I mean, really clever to have secured that before you left. I would never have thought about that. I'd have been up and gone with my bin bag full of clothes and um, and then thought, oh my God, what do I do now? Which yeah. is actually what I did. Yeah, did you? Oh, see, me, other than me, whereas me, Mr. Warrior, I'm like, oh no, what well, I'll do, plan, 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 plan. I kind of, I came down with a car full of my best girlfriends and said to them, right, you're my trade test. So you're having highlights, you're having a tint, you're going to have a tint and lights and then you can be my creative colour. And so... Everybody, we came down to London. I had a car full of, there must have been, what, three, had to do four models and then me. So there was a, a, a five people in the car. We went down. I did my trade test. And then that's when, yeah, I got the job and then had to come down and do what what's called vardering. Did yes. you have to? You, yeah. No, so I didn't have to varder. I don't think I ever worked anywhere of any significance in my early career to varder. But vardering is when you're qualified and you assist. That's right. For a year or something. So they can sort of nurture you and you'll do models and stuff like that, which I, I actually think it's a great thing. And it, quite a lot of the big American salons do that. You've got to yeah. be licensed before you can assist on the floor. And some of the London salons still do it. Which, yeah. I think, I think it's Sally good. And, yeah, it's good. Sally and Jamie come from, the, from Trevor Sorby and the Vidal Sassoon way. And so they make all their new starters, you know, if they're qualified, do it. I had to do it for six weeks and it was really, I mean, I was green as grass. I came to London and I remember the first woman I approached to colour her hair, she screamed, ran off and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, because I can remember saying to an assistant recently, well, go and get some models on the street. And he's like, that's not the way it works, Jack. And I'm like, that's exactly how it works. And it builds your confidence. I said, don't wait for somebody to come on Facebook. Just go on the street. That's it. I mean, we never had, we didn't have, what, you know, Instagram to message models or Facebook or, or I don't know what, what, I don't know what, what do the assistants use now, but... They're probably we, using Snapchat, Instagram, and God knows what TikTok, else. TikTok, you name it. They're TikTok, using all of yeah. that. But no, I had to trudge the streets and, oh my God, you know, a young country bumpkin from Lincolnshire who was 19 asking stra- strangers in London. Wow, that was a real eye-opener. Yeah, and that is when you start hearing people say no, no, no. And it just feels terrible when you're on the street and everyone's saying no. And you're like, but my work's really lovely. Yeah, I'm really good. And then every time it's a no, it's like a dagger to the chest. Yeah, 
character building, we would say. Abusive, <laughs> some yes. people might say these days. That's all right. <laughs> so only six weeks. You must have gone through the programme pretty quickly. Yeah, I did. I did. I watched a lot. Um, there were two really, really great colourists at Brooks and Brooks then, a, a chap called Mark Ramos and then a guy called James and um, bloody hell, they were fantastic. And I watched them intently and they really did help me take, you know, take a good basic level of colour training into uh, you know, much more of a next level standard. Brilliant. That's amazing. And, I, you know, Brooks and Brooks, of course, you do see all the nurturing and the talent that comes from there. But also Jamie and Sally are just quite so inspirational, really, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think what they taught me most is taste level. Right. Now, that one, I think, is a, it could be a podcast all on its own. Totally. Because taste level is, I think it's difficult to teach taste level, but you can encourage someone to find their taste level. Yes, it's true. And I think everybody has their own taste level, don't they? Mm. There's, you know, everyone, whether you like brighter, bolder, whether you like more soft and beautiful, whether you like, you know, classic and simple but it yeah it's 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 hard to teach but i think if you can refine it and refine it and hone your own to a high standard that's the key isn't it absolutely because that's what attracts clients i think it's it's your taste level that they like and also the way in which you communicate that attracts them so they come in for two things don't they yeah so true and then also another thing i learned there is you you attract your tribe everybody has a tribe of yeah clients who they are they you know they become their clients and it's not just about the work you put on their head it's actually the relationship you build with your clients as well yes absolutely and there's this sort of argument about you should be able to do everything and I believe you can do everything to a mediocre level but it's like if a client that came to you for a certain look then came to me, we would both view it so differently that it would look differently because it is about taste and it's about how we make that person feel. That's right. And so, you know, when salons get upset about customers leaving with hairdressers, I kind of think to myself, really, that's 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 the way it is, you know? That's it. I th- so agree. I so agree. You can have, you know, you can go on holiday for a, for two weeks, and a client can have do have a, have a a regular retouch. But if it's not with that same person, often that client will probably feel it's completely different, even if they've used yeah. the same formula. You could also lose somebody in those two weeks you, because can. because somebody else could approach it slightly differently, and it's it is not your client. That's is it. it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's also a thing. Even today, even, you know, even today, I if that happens to me, and it still does, you kind of go, oh, why? And then you, but you've just got to kind of learn to move on and kind of go, okay. Yeah, let it go. Let Maybe it go. Have a, have a look at what they're doing, lessons learned in that. And also that's the name of the game. Yeah, and you never stop learning. I think what once the person in any career, whether it's hairdressing, engineering, solicitor, banker, if they don't if they think they've learned everything and they've stopped learning, that's where I think it's time to change up or stop. Yeah, and if I stop, I think I might die. Me too. I don't think I've. Just, do you know what? The other day I was sat and I think I don't ever want to retire. I'll be on a Zimmer frame with a tint brush, getting a, an assistant to kind of put the foil in or something. I'm going to be like Marlon Dietrich on rollerblades with a broom attached to my back and wheeled along. 
on the I, stage. I'll be with you. I'm going to be like, have you seen Death Becomes Her, where de- uh, where um, um, they fall down the stairs and they're just all to pieces? I'll, I'll, that'll be me, <laughs> but with a we, tint brush. Yeah, hold, definitely holding a tint brush. Hopefully a Jack Howard one. Um, yes. Slide plug there by me. So recently, not that recently now, but um, recently in sort of hair years, I suppose, you made the move and you made the move to Nicola Clark. I did. Um, at, at, yes, at John Frieda, which has a, Nicola has the most amazing colour name, if ever there was one. How did that feel making the move for you? Were you, were you nervous inside? Yeah, I was really nervous. I was so super nervous, but I felt I needed time. I needed a change, and I needed a, I needed a kind of a bit of a challenge and a, and a kind of fresh scenery and a new kind of, a new direction. Mm. Um, and so yeah, so I approached I approached Nicola, and Nicola is as cool as a cucumber, and unless you know her, she does it. She's kind of so cool and laid back. You kind of think she almost is doesn't care but she does but she's just very relaxed about things and calm right. so i i got in contact sent messages then i got an interview and a trade test and um i remember getting the job thinking oh my god like this is a huge huge shake up like properly this is almost the biggest shake up f- for me from moving from lincoln to london than the the you know that moving from that salon, previous salon to where I am now was, yeah, just as much of a nerve wracking moment for me as any. A very different market indeed, I would have thought. Yes, very different market and very different colour, def- very different colour team and colour clientele, weirdly. <laughs> So a big change, John, and the, one of the biggest changes for you was the clientele. And of course, clientele's changed from salon to salon. Had you really thought about that or was it, did it take you by surprise? I thought about it a little bit and I thought maybe the clients might be a little bit more demanding. They may be a little bit more um, uh, uh, international. But what I hadn't realised is how, um, how I'm going to say kind of how much more American style the clients are. Mm. And, and you'll probably understand this, you know, there was a lot more base breaking, a lot more smudging where you break the base, rinse it, balayage, huge amount of after a set of highlights, you would frost the hairline to get that full coverage look, yeah. which is a, you know, which is quite American kind of thing. And it's... um. And yeah, it was it was it was a big change, but a, a one that I really liked because it was it was a challenge in a way that I knew that I'd enjoy the challenge and I knew that I could do it once I'd learnt the you know the basics and how to do it with confidence. But you know, the thing about it is, I think the ch- the challenges are where we grow. Yeah, aren't they always in it? If you can hold hold your nerve and hold steady, that's right. But. Things like base breaks and bleaching around the hairline and stuff like that are all kind of poo-pooed by the industry in many ways. But actually, if you do them really well, it just 
seals the deal, doesn't it? Does. it? Because that's what the client's like. I mean, I'll never forget when I went on your course with Sophia. Can you remember years ago, the balayage course, we went on I remember on that. You. was my first one I did in the UK for L'Oreal Professional. That's right. And I was there and it was amazing. I've still got the dolly head, actually. And... Um, that's vintage. It's vintage now. It's vintage. She's but she's here in she's here with me. And um um and I remember you talking about the money piece. And you know, it's and it's still to this day the money piece. I'll always remember you calling it. And if you get that money piece right, or if you get that perfect hairline lifted, it you it seals the deal. It's like you you've you've got them. You've got that client will be in love with you. Yeah, and if the hairdresser blow-dries the front first, you've really made it. Because it. if you blow-dry the front first, she's sat looking pretty, loving what you've done as a colour, doesn't look all wet and detangled That's like a it. drowned rat, and then it's a, a done deal. It's dr- okay. Yeah, it's it's she floats out from there, literally. She's sat yeah. there, she is, she's just, she's melting. She's happy as, she's happy as Larry. It's, um, yeah, the amount of times I have grabbed... Uh, the stylist who's blow drying my client say, do the front first, do the front first. I love it. Are you a bossy with your blow dry people then? Because yes. I'm, I'm renowned for it, which is awful. I am, I am. And I think I, you know, as as controversial as it may sound, if, you know, if it's your colour and they're just having a blow dry, I think you've kind of got a little bit of leeway to be bossy about it. Because, you know, if I think... The, the blow dry... We can't, no matter how technically clever you are or how how emotional you are as a colorist and how it connects with the client, if the blow dry is not right, it just doesn't quite sell it as well as that spot on blow dry, does it? It's I mean, so it just true. Doesn't. It's so true. It's like, you know, I think I kind of think it's, you know, the reason you could say if you want to went to a shop and you wanted to, it's the full experience, you know, you go to liberty for the purple bag because it's just the finisher you go to the Mm. you go to a a shop with and they just say if they gift wrap something nicely or it's just that that final bit of polish sells it and i'm you know and it's all about that it's like putting on a pair of silk pjs or putting on a pair of nylon ones they kind of look the same but it feels very different oh yes they do yeah yeah i love that so what do you think was your um so you talk about the fact that you were doing breaking out and doing these different things, the smudges, working on your hairlines. I mean, a perfect for a hairline is you don't see very often, do you? But yeah. they can be superb when That's they're it. done. When they're done right, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I'll, I've been, I'm obsessed with film and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. But since lockdowns happened, I've watched all those, you know, 1990s films and 1980s films and looking at people like Sharon Stone and Kim Basinger Mm. and watching their hairlines, how they've been touched and highlighted and bleached and thingied. It's been, I've been obsessed with it and it's, you know, the attention to detail. So that's how I always try and approach it with any of my blonde clients, for instance. I actually saw Reese Witherspoon in a movie, um, over the holidays, Christmas holidays, and it was an old one. And she was quite golden at that period. And she had these blonde pieces just sat over. Most of the base was gold. And the pop on them was so good. And I'm like, you know what? I need to get this underneath darker. I don't want them all light. I love the the feeling that you get when you look at colour that pops out. You know, And I talk about it with balayage, but it's also with base tints and foil highlights. It can still be That's magnificent. Right. 
Film is a great reference, and I think that's a really brilliant segue into the next kind of conversation of it. Because now you've you've been working with Nicola, who's known for film and TV and some fantastic actresses, music videos, of course, Madonna as well. Of course. Um, and you've segued into doing film and TV. Now, how... How is it different for you? I can tell you what I think is different about doing it because it is different to doing a, a client in there. How is it different for you? How is it? Well, first thing that I had to get used to is because I'm I'm an absolute film and TV geek. I love watching films and TV. I love it. And um, but the first thing for me was a to get over who you're doing. So yes. say if you're doing somebody famous, it's always okay. Keep a cool head, no fangirling. And then it's also learning, A, one, you're not doing it for that, for the actor to look pretty and how they necessarily want their hair. And B, you are working with a makeup artist and hair designer for a film. So it's their decision, not yours necessarily. So it's teamwork. So you've got to really be working as a team with the hair and makeup designer and trying not to let too many cooks spoil the broth. Do you know what I mean? So you're trying to work on a an end look that's going to keep the hair and makeup designer happy and hopefully the actor happy as much as possible. So the keeping, being a people pleaser myself, keeping the actor and usually actress happy, I had to let go of that. And I have to, and I'm not used to, I'm used to a hairdresser talking about their client and what they were looking for in that conversation. But then suddenly to have somebody else who I don't know, which would be the makeup artist that you build a relationship with, start talking about what they want. And then also, it, it, it's, it was difficult for me, but I mean, it was something, it was a hurdle I wanted to overcome. But then I have so much admiration for these people, these makeup artists, these set designers, because they they know how to get the magic out of you on on screen. Because suddenly they're talking about lighting and how things are very different on film, and and it's all of that going on. It's it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge, and it's fascinating because I had to do an actor's hair, actress's hair red, and once, and there were so many different references of the kind of red. And, you know, each each product brand creates their reds a little bit differently. Some yeah. will be more pinky, purpley, some will be more yellow, you know. So, A, getting the red down, but also, as you say, that that maybe that actress doesn't really want to go red, but that's, that's what her role requests of her. And so she's going to do it unless she can unless she can persuade them to to wig her which cost of thousands to make a a, a wig for tv nowadays so mm. i remember doing this red thinking oh i've nailed it and then you know a day or two later it not quite being right because it didn't light well it didn't look as red enough on camera and yeah. then you know so then you have to rethink it so it, yeah, it's quite challenging and also the pressure one time i had to do a colour and the director was there watching me do it as well because he wanted to be actively involved in this character's colour and kind of, you know, trying to please everybody. I wonder if that was the same director that I've recently worked with who who was very insistent that he wanted to see it afterwards and it was, it was the makeup artist 
me, the actress, and then it was like there was still another person having a say in it. And I, I didn't even actually get to speak to them about it. It was like, yes or no. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah and it's... Top lip sweating. Oh, oh, and the rest. Change of underwear, yeah. please. <laughs> but at least we all go through it, hey? Did it, was it something that you were searching out to, to get involved in that aspect of it? I or think was it... so. A little bit. Because, as I say, I've always been a movie geek and I knew that Nicola has this amazing pedigree of doing some of the most famous women on the planet and working on some of the most iconic films as well with actors to create looks and also you know Madonna and Dua Lipa and all you know all those famous people and so I think I thought ah I'd like to you know try my hand at that and give give that a bit of a go Mm. and and see about the to see to create some magic and also, you know, to have that when um, I recently worked on a film that's going to be coming out later in the year called uh, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, about oh, yeah. about a boy who wants to be um, a drag queen and goes goes in drag. And seeing the first trailers for it and seeing my my bleach and tone on the screen, I was like, oh, wow, that's going to be there forever. And every time it's on, I can say, ah, I did that. I, d- I did that, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting, though, when you first see it, isn't it? When you see them, it's exciting to see that. Yeah. It's because I think so often when you're doing TV and film, it's you do it in the salon because you're not on set necessarily. And you do it in the salon and then it goes off and you're sort of like, oh. And then suddenly you see it and you're like, oh, I did that. Yeah. And of, of course, because it's such long lead time, you'll do something yeah. and then you know, 18 months later, you go, oh, oh, ah. Nice. Nice memory. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that, Jack? Do you enjoy working in that arena? I do. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I find it a little bit stressful sometimes when the challenges come up at me. But if I nail it, I'm happy. But then sometimes it goes to like, if it's not quite right for them... I come back and I'm like, Ugh, and then I beat myself up about it. I, I overthink it for too long. Yeah, but I think, I think that's where I'm the same. I, I am my own worst enemy and critic. Mm. I really am. And I'm not afraid to say now, I do need a bit of, I need a moral support or somebody to say, you did really well. Don't, you know, don't let it beat you up. I do. I often, I can um, overthink things. And I think, I wonder if that's part of being a perfectionist. Do you think that's part of coming from Lincolnshire? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sometimes have imposter syndrome, though. I absolutely think, what, how the hell have I got, am I doing this? How oh, the hell have I got hugely, here? Hugely, hugely. And I know that, that we could do a podcast of this on its own thing, but I think where I grew up, you know, it was always those people, that London, that there London, oh, those people, those people in London down there. And, you know, I, I, often there was a lot of people who, you know, never, there was them and us. And I think, yeah, I often feel imposter syndrome, like I'm living a life that how, like, it's not, it's not either not, shouldn't be mine, or I'm not deserved of it, or mm. am I, am I faking it? Yeah. I agree. Sometimes I like that. And the other days I'm like skipping around the house as happy as Larry. Me too. So, you know, it's not like I live my life in that all the time, but it does happen. That's it. When I'm sat on the floor watching um, Lorraine Kelly and I've spilt, you know, my cornflakes down me, I think, no, actually, I still am quite real. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Now, are you a geek? 
Uh, am I a geek that is like yeah. saying, have I bleached my hair in lockdown? Yes, I am. You're such a geek, aren't you? I mean, the, you, your natural love of the science of hair colour is noticeable straight away. Oh, yes. But you, you've been doing this, you do these hysterical stories. You stopped doing them recently, but you've been doing them for a while. And these were these box colour YouTube stories. I know. Tell me about that. Well, do you know what? I wish, I feel such, I feel I I slap myself every time I watch YouTube now because there are two hairdressers who have created quite a huge following and channels on YouTube watching people make an absolute pig's ear and mess of their own hair colour. One's called Brad Mondo, who's a very famous, cool-looking guy from America, and there's this other one called Hair Buddha, I think. I think he might be from the Netherlands. Anyway, so what I started to do, and I just... I've got a bit of a schadenfreude. I think I get it from my mum. But if anybody messes up or falls over, I will laugh and guffaw. Not my finest trait, but anyway. So I will off... (laughs) (laughs) But I would... I just want... About a year or two ago, I can't remember what it was, but I would just type into YouTube hair fail or people would send me these things of people bleaching their hair and I just thought oh my god and then I thought wouldn't it be funny if I kind of just film this for others to watch on my followers on Instagram and then do my own reaction because I don't know just for entertainment purposes and then when I saw people were laughing at it I thought oh actually it's quite fun to do but yeah, yeah but it, some of the things you see are shocking. Well, I'm not surprised that they're shocking. I just didn't really know they existed until you opened my eyes to that. I and know. I did actually enjoy them. So I think you should get back on that. I should do. I think I will. Maybe that is my um, my next part of lockdown resolution. My 2021 revs. Resolution? Not revolution. Resolution to do that. I think I will. It could well be a revolution the way the world's going. So don't worry about that. Well, that's it. I saw, I I still, I was in the shop the other day just buying stuff. I was in boots just picking up some toothpaste and everything. And I had to have a swift wander through the hair dye aisle. And lots of them aren't being, interestingly, they're not being sold with gloves at the minute. They've got stickers because all the gloves are being sent to um, NHS and hospitals, which I thought was good. It's very good. It's the aisle I, I disappear from. I avoid like hell, but it's the aisle that you're going down seeing, checking if they've got rubber gloves in. I love that. Yeah, but also, do you want to know some real funny secrets? I was walking down the aisle the other day and I saw two of my clients on the boxes. <laughs> and I text them. I said, excuse me, what's this? They probably, they probably got paid very well for that. They did. <laughs> they did. I thought, oh, I see, I see. But no, I do. Do you know what I like? I like to go down that aisle because I like to see what's what because it's always changing. But what is what's down there? It's like it's a Pandora's box. Well, it takes you right back to your childhood, I'm sure. But you've got you've gone from um, the dollar store to uh, Boots, the chemist. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or as my my American partner says, the Boots, which the I boots. always think is quite the Boots, which I think is hysterical. But I'm still. I like going to. If I'm in America, I will be. I'll spend an hour in Dwayne Reed or Walgreens or CVS or CVS. Actually, CVS or <gasps> Target. Oh. Lovely. See, I love Target. I love CVS. I'm sorry. I just, you can't get anything like it, can you, really? I find, I find things that I didn't know I needed in both stores. Me too. 
Now, John, it's been, I mean, it's been a rough year for our industry. Are you doing any film stuff at the moment or is, is that all stopped for you? You're literally just at home or have you had the opportunity to do a bit of film? I'm literally just at home and, yeah, it is driving me a little bit potty. I've been able to do a lot of online um, kind of consultation stuff, which has been quite fun. So, um, you know, I've got a couple of clients who... I set up Zoom chats with and I help them do their hair over, over, you know, over Zoom and stuff like that. But yeah, and I've got a couple of um, makeup Actually, artists who... I saw you did one with, was it, was it Laura Bailey? Ali Bailey, yeah. Ali Bailey, I saw you do that with her, which I thought was quite neat. Yeah, and then she gets, yeah. she gets her husband to do the back, which is quite sweet. But I think by the time she'd done the front, this bit here had been on two hours... And I think here have been on like five minutes, but never well, mind. Never mind. Nobody's looking at the back of her head at the moment. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so no, I've, I've, I've kind of, I've been, um, yeah, I've been definitely missing getting my hands in a pair of rubber gloves and mixing up some, mixing up some dye. That's why I've, I've reached for my own the other day. You've inspired me to do, I'm thinking of doing the same. I think of shaving it off and bleaching it blonde just well, for the hell of it. No, no, you know, I know, uh, I know you work closely with Schwarzkopf, but the Schwarzkopf, this is no, um, I'm not affiliated and no plug, but Schwarzkopf blonde me the nine plus. Nine plus, the best product in the world. That is what I used. 45 minutes, my hair is a dark level five, almost four, and it was, it didn't need a toner. It was perfect. I love to hear that. But what I really want to know is lockdown one, two and three, because we're on our third different lockdown yeah. in London. Um, which one's been the hardest for you? Uh, first one. First one was the hardest because it was, I don't know, I just I didn't know it was all so new. But it was mm. the hardest and it was then it became fun because it was the summer. And so you could go out for walks or you could sit on a balcony, it'd be warm and nice. Um. They've all been they've all been hard in their own little ways. The first the first one was hard at the beginning and then it gone better. The second one actually because it was only what four or five weeks. Yeah, four weeks wasn't it? Four yeah, weeks, it felt like actually a bit of a a bit of a pre Christmas holiday. holiday. Mm. Yeah, and then actually I felt really sad. I was in the salon on the twentieth of December, and then Boris came on on the you know on the TV and a few clients were, um, you know, getting updates on their phone. And it was about 4, 4.30, and I was doing my last client of the day um, in the salon on the 20th. Then we got told we were closing. And I had so many clients booked up until the Christmas Eve. Yeah. And that was the single most moment that I could have gone into the toilet and cried. I was really devastated. What about you? Um, I found the second one the hardest yeah. for me, emotionally. I don't know why. It just, I felt like I'd just got started doing stuff again and then it went kaputz and it was just terrible this one i'm a bit more disciplined on so it's good but what what are you doing to stay motivated john um staying motivated for me how i try and stay motivated is i need a regular sleep schedule so i try and be in bed for a certain time and i try and always put an alarm on Say I put my alarm on for 8.30, I try and get up around then or 9 o'clock and then yeah. try that because I think it's easy to get a little bit a little bit kind of disheartened and a bit depressed if you've not got a routine. I'm a person that does like a routine. Yeah, that's been my winning thing This is to have 
some boundaries to go to bed properly, to get up, still keep get up early. I get up at 6.30 or 7. It's just old man syndrome. I just wake up and it's like done. Yeah. But then I work out and then I, I try and finish everything off by six o'clock so I can just have some sort of me time at home. That's good. But that's, that's the lesson I've learned, to try and do less of that madness. Thomas might disagree with me. Thomas is the podcast guy because he'll probably get a text through at 11 p.m. saying, oh, by the way, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm generally trying to do that. And what about education? How are you keeping yourself educated at the front? Are you doing any online learning? Are you? Yeah, I did. Um Quite luckily, um, our manager got in contact with Weller and they sent a few, a few, um, Zoom, uh, meetings and, and things that we could do. So I did a grey blending course and then there was a balayage one that I watched and also the gorgeous Zoe, um, Zoe. Yes. Who we, we love, we love Zoe. Um, she sent a few different interesting things for us to read. So that was really good. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, John, I hope this lockdown doesn't last much longer for us. Yes. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Not only are you talented, but you're extremely funny, which is so cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been and an absolute pleasure. Yeah, great chat. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. way and on facebook it's jack howard color c-o-l-o-r and my website is www.jackhowardcolor.com <laughs>